chapter 6. At the start of January, Pastor announced that he would take the month of January on Sunday evenings and uh, devote them to prayer, to preaching on prayer, and then have a, a time afterward where we as a group uh, would spend some time praying. And we're going to try to honor that. And to start with, uh, my nature is to always try to start at foundational level, basis level, try to get rid of uh, any possible confusion. And so I'd like to first start out with the idea of what is prayer. When we use that word and if we said uh, we're going to have a prayer meeting to a lot of different people, they may picture different things. Some people may envision a group of people and nothing ever came out audibly. Some people may picture a little closer to what pastor does. And if you notice when pastor prays, he's audible. He prays. You can hear, you know what he's praying for when you're in his presence. He lets it be known. Prayer means different things to different people, but biblically speaking, what do we mean by prayer? At the basic level, we, we understand that it's there's two sides of the equation. It's men, mankind, communicating with God. And of course, the word prayer doesn't just mean an equal level of communication. It infers that one is much higher than the other. Even in... Uh, 500 years ago time when you had feudal system of lords, kings, queens, if a subject came into their court, maybe dropped down in their presence to beg something of them, they may start out by saying, I pray thee, O king, or O queen, for such and such. They laid prostrate. It meant prayer has always had a definition of communicating to a higher authority. When the Bible speaks of God talking to us, it doesn't use the verb prayer. He doesn't pray toward us. He gives commandment. He talks to us. He may answer our prayer. But when we use the word pray and prayer, we're talking to God. It also is an indication that there is a worshipfulness. There is a a definite beginning, a starting point of He's way up there, we're down here. But with that, We do want to be careful. We don't want to start with the idea of prayer that this is something that's kind of a Hail Mary, like in football, where it's a last second hope that maybe, just maybe if we caught God on the right day, and if magically somehow the right words somehow got garbled in my mouth, but they came out just right, I might get an answer that I want. We don't want to view prayer. The Bible doesn't teach prayer as something that can just barely happen once in a while. That an answer to it is, boy, you sure got lucky that you got your prayer answered. We kind of feel that way sometimes because in our life we listen to Aunt Mimi and she prayed for something that didn't get it and Uncle Joe prayed and he didn't get it and we hear other people's experience. But in the Bible, how is it presented? In the Bible, when Jesus talked about prayer, we're in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, the first four verses, he's talking about doing things so that people will see you and you get credit for being a person that, say, you gave alms or you gave an offering and people think, well, that's an awfully generous person. He or she gave an offering. But what Jesus teaches there is you should probably do it in secret. Don't even let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. He then goes to prayer In verse 4, verse 5, When thou prayest, when thou prayest. According to that, is that an optional thing? Does it sound like something that we might do? There's not an if. I think he really meant what he said there. When you pray, it implies, as Jesus would say later, later, you should always be in prayer. That's kind of an attitude, but it is a lifestyle When you prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. So what we're about to read are hypocrites, people that do one thing or say one thing, but they really do another. They love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets. Those are visible places where everybody can see. They do it that they may be seen of men. 
Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What is their reward? What Jesus just described, somebody that's on the street corner, let everybody know, I look in the corner of your eye, okay, they see I'm praying now, and now I'll pray. What's their reward? It's that, yes, in the minds of the people watching, they view that person, well, that's a pretty righteous person. I mean, hey, they pray a lot. But if that, if you are really praying to get something from God, I can tell you I want a lot more than that. That's not really an answer to prayer. If you've ever been in need of something and you need an answer from God, that's a very low standard for receiving something, isn't it? Just that other people think I'm a praying person. That doesn't pay the rent. It doesn't get someone healed. It doesn't save grandma. None of those things come just by letting other people see that you pray. Verse 6, but thou. In other words, the but means we're starting something different, going in a different direction. Those hypocrites, they let everybody see that they're, that they're praying, but, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. There's a, there's a very good principle in that verse. If you pray to the Lord in secret, and He's the only one that even knows what you're praying for, what happens when the answer comes? In your mind, there's a strong encouragement because, see, nobody knew. And when God answers, and I mean answers specifically, say exactly, Maybe there's a certain amount of money that just you, we, we, you had to have for something. And you prayed in secret. And that came into you by uh, circumstances that are just unforeseen. I mean, never happens, and it came to the dollar. If that ever happens to you, I can tell you, you will be much more encouraged to open that closet, go back in there on your knees, and pray again, because there's something that occurs to you. This stuff works. You cannot assign rich Uncle Joe the credit for it because he didn't know. Even if the money came from him, God had to move on his heart. If you pray in secret and the answer comes, no matter what it is, a healing to a relationship, a physical healing, you pray for something and God's the only one that knows and you know. When the answer comes to that, what an encouragement. And you'll see here, What Jesus describes as prayer, what is the goal between man and God when it comes to prayer? It's to shorten that distance, to draw us closer to Him. Verse 7, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Here's another principle on the negative side. We don't just go to God and repeat something over and over that has been written down for us, or maybe even that we came up with years ago, but if it becomes something that is just repetitive in nature, and it can possibly become, as this verse says, vain. Vain meaning there's really no meaning behind it. You're just doing it out of habit because it's kind of the way it has happened in the past. God doesn't want our prayer to become vain repetition. He even linked that that the heathen do that. They think that if we say it 28 times, right about at the, half, at the end of 28, right when you start 29, somehow God's ears magically open and he hears it. And the Bible doesn't support that. The Bible does not teach that just saying it a certain number of times gets God's attention. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't pray over and over. I'm not saying that at all. He's specifically talking here the vain repetitions. Stay away from that. It shows that your heart, you're not really talking to the Father like you would to your friend, your spouse, your parent. Try talking in vain repetitions to those people and see how your relationship goes. After a while, they'll look funny at you. They'll probably turn and walk away. They may hang up the phone on you because the message is being sent. They don't really mean this. Verse 8. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. 
Wow. Now this is a fantastic principle. Think of this. This is Jesus talking. He just said, God knows, of course, once we think about it, seems perfectly natural. He's God. He knows everything. Why would we have to pray if He already knows in advance the things that we have need of? Dependence. That's a good word. Now, Jesus at the beginning of this verse says, when you pray. So He wants us to pray. We're supposed to go to the Lord. And yet He's telling us that the Father already knows. He already knows. Well, a parent can know, it can see into the life of a child, know what they need. But the communication, going and ask, talking about it, it draws you closer. God knows what you have need of. That in itself is a, a comforting fact. It is a little bit of a, of a confidence thing. I mean, He knows me. And yet, what does Jesus say about that need in your life? He still wants us go ask Him. Keep your finger right here. Go back to 1 Kings in your Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 3. After Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all those, you have Joshua, then you have the Samuels, the Kings. 1 Kings chapter 3, page 461 in my Bible. 1 Kings chapter 3. And this is the story of David's son, Solomon. David was Israel's best king. He is widely thought of as their best. His son Solomon took over, and he was he must have been a little bit of a at a younger age. First Kings chapter three, verse three Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statute of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Wasn't supposed to do that. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice, therefore. That was a great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon the altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I shall give thee. Now there's nothing preceding this where you read, where the Bible records that Solomon was wondering, you know, I've got these big needs, but I'm just kind of scared to go talk to God. No indication that Solomon had some need and that God was, or that he was reluctant to go to God. This is just out of the blue. Who initiated this? It was God that comes to Solomon and what does he tell him? He commands him, Solomon, ask me something. Now he's not saying, ask me a question for information. As you read on here, you you realize the definition of the ask. Ask of me. You can get something of me. Ask of me. Now, really, you need to, just before you read on, mark that down as a characteristic of our Heavenly Father. He's okay with what? He's okay with His children asking Him for stuff. Really. Now, I make a big deal out of that because... Run across people. We can get a little bit jaded in our lives sometimes. You can come to the point in your life, if you're not careful, where you assume, God doesn't want to hear anything from me. He's got six billion other people. He's either busy at this time. All those people are whining to him. I'm not going to be one of them. You can get in your head that God doesn't want to hear from you. And it's a lie. You never want to work under false assumptions. The correct assumption is God does want to hear from you. And it's okay if it's in the form of, Lord, I really need something. Perfectly fine. He comes to Solomon and says, Ask of me something. Verse 6, Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. Thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son, to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go in or to come go out or come in. He tells the Lord 
that I'm kind of new at this. You've done a great thing by letting David's son, me, further his throne. And Solomon has said, I need wisdom. And as you go on to read here, Solomon, God recognizes, you know, he could have asked me for just a bunch of money. He could have asked me to put my foot on the throat of his enemies. And he didn't. And it tells us, verse 11, God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and has not asked for thyself long life, neither asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. So God answers his prayer. He gives him wisdom. Keep reading verse 12. So that there was none like thee, Before thee, neither after thee, shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that thou which hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee, these in thy days. I do like that story because you do learn something about the character, the nature of our Father. You guys are probably all thinking of the nature maybe of your earthly Father. It makes a difference, doesn't it? They're all different. People are different. Some of you maybe had a generous father. Some, shall we say, not so generous. Some a little stingy. Some uh, who wasn't crazy about being asked for something. I, I just have such a clear memory in childhood. One of my best friends growing up, if he asked for 50 cents for a quarter, his father invariably, we all of us knew what was coming out of his, his mouth, uh, you asking for my beer money and my cigarette money. He would go down the long list of things he had to buy and he was telling his son, he may not have meant to communicate this, but he was telling him, you're not as important at those things that I need to buy. I, as a joke with my kids, will sometimes pull that out on them, but it was very real to my friend. It was a, communicated to him that all these things come before him. When we go and ask the Father, you'll never hear him say something quite like that anyway. His nature, the nature of our Heavenly Father as he wants to be asked. Let's go back to Matthew 6. Let's go to Matthew 7, actually. Matthew 7, verse 7. Jesus still talking. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. If nothing else, isn't it pretty clear that there's something, it seems like on God's end of it, something very simple with prayer or asking the Father? You don't, now there, there's not just one verse in the Bible that tells you everything that there is about prayer. So I'm not trying to put in here that this answers every question we have about prayer. But I do want to point something out. All these verses that we're trying to get in and cram into this hour, what does it look like on God's end of things? How many restrictions is he putting on the person who's praying? That verse right there was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Ask, comma, and it shall be given you. Now we're going to get to some restrictions that God does have. But for the most part, He always presents it as, this is a simple transaction. You come to me, you talk to me, you have a relationship with me, because Jesus does say that if I'm, if you're mine, meaning if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, he said, if I abide in you and my words abide in you, you'll ask of me whatsoever you will and it'll be done for you. Now in that, there are a few restrictions. In other words, you need to be his kid. And if his words abide in you, that means you know the things that he likes, the things that he doesn't like. and You also have a pretty good relationship with him because you listen to what he says. And I don't want to paint the picture that an unbeliever can't get something from God because... He's very rich in mercy. I wouldn't want to be an unbeliever and have my life depend on it and go to God and ask Him for something. 
The Bible makes it pretty darn clear when you're his kid, lines of communication are a lot wider. Verse 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus is pretty adamant there, pretty clear. It's making prayer sound easy, isn't it? And you know what? I don't want to diminish that. I have no desire to stand up here and try to make it sound complicated. It shouldn't be. There's a lot of things we can, and we're going to try to learn about prayer through our Bible tonight. The first thing is, you don't see where Jesus tries to make this complicated. Verse 8, For every one that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. You know, if you're ever feeling like you don't have a good relationship with God, and if you don't, if your conscience is doing its job and it's telling you that you're doing something that you shouldn't be and you need to go repent, then go take care of that. But also, these are good verses that if you don't feel that close to God, you don't feel like you could ever get something from Him, go read this. Everyone that asks, receives of Him. He does like to answer prayer. Verse 9. What man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? And he's putting it into a scenario we can understand. Even parents here on the earth, and there's no such thing as a good in their own self-righteous parent. We're all fallen human beings. And he's pointing out, even you guys that have evil all over you, Give good things to your child when you ask, how much more will your heavenly Father? The only reason I harp on that right there, and you make sure you read that, when we go to approach our Father, know what's a little bit, as much as we can tell, what's going on on His end. On His end of things, how is He presenting it? Hey, I'm a righteous Father up here on the throne. I have every desire to fulfill your need. That's the way He is painting himself on this two-sided equation. Verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, even so do ye to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's turn now to Mark chapter 11. Matthew, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, and you know where we're going here, verse 22. Mark eleven twenty-two. Jesus answers and said unto them, Have faith in God. Now, what everything he's about to say is a follow of that statement. That we as human beings, we are supposed to have faith in God. What's that mean? What's a good picture of that? That means as we approach him, we should believe something about Him. Have faith in God. We, that, that means that not only do you think He's out there, you trust what He says. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Wow. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. God does care about your desires. That is in no way to mean that everything a human being desires means that it's holy, righteous, godly. Of course not. All of us have desires that are unholy. And if we don't curb those things, if we feed them, what do they do? They get bigger. And you have more ungodly desires every day of the week. But you do have desires that are godly. You have things in your heart that God has no problem with. 
In fact, this verse says, what things soever you desire, when you pray about them, what should be going on in your heart and your mind? It's very simple here. The simplicity of these verses is amazing. Look at verse 24 again. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Pretty remarkable. As a, 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 a someone who's preaching or teaching, you almost want to just get out of the way and let that verse speak for itself. You, you, try and, you don't want to make things more complicated than what they are. That verse paints a picture that when you're praying, and prayer is something coming out of your mouth, what should be going on in your heart? Yeah. You shouldn't have any a stumbling block. You shouldn't have a barrier in there that is saying silently, I don't know why I'm doing this, he ain't going to hear me. That's not praying in faith what this says. This says, while you're praying, you should believe that you're going to re- that you are receiving it. See, that is approaching God in a certain way, with a certain attitude, a certain mindset. That when I go to Him, I get what I want. And I don't want to make that sound like a spoiled child in any way. It's a relationship between a loving father and his children. Look at the simplicity that Jesus presents prayer. In all of these verses, doesn't it seem like he paints it as something that we should expect to work? I think for the most part, our prayer life goes way down because we think, well, I mean, obviously it doesn't work. If it did, everybody would do it. You know why we think that sometimes? Because people don't do it right. They go to God thinking those thoughts. This verse says your heart and your mind should be toward God. He's a loving Father. That's what Jesus said back in Matthew 6 and 7. He knows what we have need of even before we ask Him, and He's like a good Father that even an evil Father gives His serpent some bread instead of a serpent. And He is much more holy, much more righteous than earthly fathers who are evil. He gives good things to his children. Verse 25, When you stand praying for... Why does he have to attach this to forgiving? But he does. Forgive if you have ought against any. He does link the idea of your relationship with God and praying to him with what? Do I have problems here on earth with my fellow man? Because it seems to paint the picture, doesn't it? That if I don't forgive them, what happens between me and God? Seems like, it sure seems like it gets a lot harder for God to deal with me. Doesn't it? Verse 26 says, but if you do not forgive, neither will you not. Let's not read that. Well, maybe we should. Pastor might want us to read that. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Seems to be there's a sowing, reaping, there's a how you treat other people. It does seem to have an effect on what God will treat your relationship like. It does seem that way. And when you're praying, it's always a good thing. Always a good thing. You'll have a clear conscience toward God if you and your if you have forgiven your neighbor for throwing something over the fence on your side of the property and that drives you crazy. Just forgive him. Don't let that on your conscience as you go to God to pray and seek something in your relationship with Him. It seems that God's not crazy about that part, some unforgiveness in here with somebody down here when you're going to Him. seems like the lines of communication are much more open when we have good relationship with everybody here. And even if you don't have a, quote, a good relationship, you don't have with them. Forgive. You forgive them. They can't control that. You have 100% control of whether or not you forgive another person. Now, we've, we've done a lot here about this seems pretty easy. And intentionally, I want to read it just like it says. 
All the verses we've read so far is God already knows, but he wants you to ask anyway. Everybody that asks, they receive. That's what it said back in Matthew. Here it says, the prayer of faith is when you go to God, you should go to him with the expectation and the thought that prayer works with him. That's what the prayer of faith, the belief that he answers prayer. Now, this isn't the only thing that the Bible says about prayer, and we're trying to be well-rounded. Let's go to 1 John chapter do we want to do that? Let's stop on our way back there at James. The book of James. Chapter 4. James chapter 4. <clears throat> James chapter 4 and verse 2. James is a small little book. About Fifth book from the end. James chapter 4, verse 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because you ask not. Now this at first seems a little bit maybe contradictory or it may be hard to understand. Starting out talking about the human condition where people have lust in their heart. They have desires to, to kill, desires for fighting and for war. And then it links and it says, you don't have because you ask not. And that is in line with what we've already read in Matthew. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. So you flip that around and if you don't ask, you're not going to receive. That's what that is saying. But look at verse 3. You ask and receive not. Wait a minute. I thought if we asked, we got what we wanted. Here it says, You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. So what follows is the definition of asking amiss, meaning you can ask things that God's not crazy about. This is why in Bible study it's important to know the character, the nature of our God. What does He like? What does He not like? I don't want to go to him asking him for things. I know he's not crazy about, for example, let's just pick something that's maybe a silly example, but we can all understand it. If any one of us asked to marry our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's husband, can you immediately see that you're going to have a problem asking God to answer that prayer? Because he's already stated something. Before you ever get to this part of the Bible, he has stated, he has given examples, there has been punishment met out for what he calls adultery. In other words, it's illegal, it's biblically illegal to go after your neighbor's husband or wife, their spouse. They're already married. And so to ask God about something like that is the definition of what he's talking about here. You're asking amiss. You can't ask those things and think, well, I believe in my heart because the one verse said to be in faith, you're not going to get your prayer answered. Now, that's a silly example, but we can all understand it. When we ask God in prayer, make sure of something. Go to your Bible and make sure God is just dandy with it. This is also why we do need to have good understanding of our God. You ask amiss because that ye may consume it upon your lusts. If you're ever asking God for something just to satisfy, that word lust has to do with our fleshly desires. You can lust for what we may call companionship with kids in the room. You can lust for food. I sent, I'm telling you, chocolate chip cookies, do it to me. I'm not saying that to be funny. I honestly recognize I have a problem with that. I, you can lust after money. It's possible. You can lust after a lot of things. The definition of lust is an unhealthy craving or desire. It's not even good for you. And you can't pray for those kind of things just because you want to consume it upon your fleshly, your earthly lust. If you do, then the Bible tells us 
you don't have a whole lot of ground to stand on to think, well, God will answer this prayer. 1 John. Go a couple more, few pages past the 1 Peter, 2 Peter. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And verse 14. A very personal verse for me. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. The confidence. I love that word. You can have confidence when you go to talk to God. That's what this verse is talking about. He's, what you're about to hear tells you how you can have confidence. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. I wonder if God really cares to hear this one. No, you can know. And this is how we do it. You can have confidence in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Now, ask according to His will. This is again a prayer verse. We're asking. It's just not using the word prayer. It's using the word ask. And if you ask anything according to God's will, meaning His desire, His healthy desire, what He wills for you, what does this verse promise? We know that we got through, that He hears us. And the next verse says, And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. This is why it is extremely important for the Christian believer to know what is the will of God. Very important. You realize there are a lot of people that are sick in their body that maybe want to be prayed for. And yet in their heart and in their mind, they have a stumbling block. They're, they're not even sure that God wants to heal them. That it's God's will that He heals His children. And that's a problem. According to this verse, we're supposed to know what He likes, what He wants. I've spent too much time on other things, but what we were going to do, you can go through, I think, the books of Mark and Luke, and there's five or six verses in each of those books that say this. Jesus went into some town, some village area, and they brought out every sick person in the entire town. And that verse says, and Jesus healed them all. It's not a big deal, is it? But then you go and you read another story, and it says the exact same thing. And they brought out those of the sick of the palsy, those that were maimed, deaf, dumb, blind, comma, he healed them all. The only reason I point that out is you should read those, seven or eight of them, and after a while it starts to get through at least my thick skull that I think God does enjoy, it is His will to heal. He healed every one of those people. And they brought out the tough ones. Leprosy. People that were missing limbs. The blind eyes being opened. He healed them all. And if for no other reason... It's good to read that stuff over and over to get a baseline, a foundation in my heart. God heals. And He heals all the time. It's His will. That's not praying in faith what this says. This says, while you're praying, you should believe that you're going to re- that you are receiving it. See, that is approaching God in a certain way, with a certain attitude, a certain mindset. That when I go to Him, I get what I want. And I don't want to make that sound like a spoiled child in any way. It's a relationship between a loving Father and His children. Look at the simplicity that Jesus presents prayer. In all of these verses, doesn't it seem like He paints it as something that we should expect to work? I think for the most part, our prayer life goes way down because 
we think, well, I mean, obviously it doesn't work. If it did, everybody would do it. You know why we think that sometimes? Because people don't do it right. They go to God thinking those thoughts. This verse says your heart and your mind should be toward God. He's a loving Father. That's what Jesus said back in Matthew 6 and 7. He knows what we have need of even before we ask Him, and He's like a good Father that even an evil Father gives His serpent some bread instead of a serpent. And He is much more holy, much more righteous than earthly fathers who are evil. He gives good things to His children. Verse 25, when you stand praying for... Why does he have to attach this to forgiving? But he does. Forgive if you have ought against any. He does link the idea of your relationship with God and praying to Him with what? Do I have problems here on earth with my fellow man? Because it seems to paint the picture, doesn't it? That if I don't forgive them, what happens between me and God? seems like, it sure seems like it gets a lot harder for God to deal with me. Doesn't it? Verse 26 says, but if you do not forgive, neither will you not. Let's not read that. Well, maybe we should. Pastor might want us to read that. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Seems to be there's a sowing, reaping, there's a how you treat other people. It does seem to have an effect on what God will treat your relationship like. It does seem that way. And when you're praying, it's always a good thing. Always a good thing. You'll have a clear conscience toward God if you and your, if you have forgiven your neighbor for throwing something over the fence on your side of the property and that drives you crazy. Just forgive him. Don't let that on your conscience as you go to God to pray and Seek something in your relationship with Him. It seems that God's not crazy about that part. Some unforgiveness in here with somebody down here when you're going to Him. Seems like the lines of communication are much more open when we have good relationship with everybody here. And even if you don't have a, quote, a good relationship, you don't have offense with them. Forgive. You forgive them. They can't control that. You have 100% control of whether or not you forgive another person. Now, we've, we've done a lot here about, this seems pretty easy. And intentionally, I want to read it just like it says. All the verses we've read so far is, God already knows, but He wants you to ask anyway. Everybody that asks, they receive. That's what it said back in Matthew. Here it says, The prayer of faith is when you go to God, you should go to Him with the expectation and the thought that prayer works with Him. That's what the prayer of faith, the belief that He answers prayer. Now, this isn't the only thing that the Bible says about prayer, and we're trying to be well-rounded. Let's go to 1 John chapter... Do we want to do that? Let's stop on our way back there at James... The book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4, and verse 2. James is a small little book, about fifth book from the end. James, chapter 4, verse 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because you ask not. Now this at first seems a little bit maybe contradictory or it may be hard to understand. Starting out talking about the human condition where people have lust in their heart. They have desires to to kill, desires for fighting and for war. And then it links and it says, you don't have because you ask not. And that is in line with what we've already read in Matthew. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. So 
So you flip that around, and if you don't ask, you're not going to receive. That's what that is saying. But look at verse 3. You ask and receive not. Wait a minute. I thought if we asked, we got what we wanted. Here it says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. So what follows is the definition of asking amiss, meaning you can ask things that God's not crazy about. This is why in Bible study it's important to know the character, the nature of our God. What does he like? What does he not like? I don't want to go to him asking him for things. I know he's not crazy about, for example, let's just pick something that's maybe a silly example, but we can all understand it. If any one of us ask to marry our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's husband, can you immediately see that you're going to have a problem asking God to answer that prayer? Because he's already stated something. Before you ever get to this part of the Bible, he has stated, he has given examples, there has been punishment met out for what he calls adultery. In other words, it's illegal, it's biblically illegal to go after your neighbor's husband or wife, their spouse. They're already married. And so to ask God about something like that is the definition of what he's talking about here. You're asking amiss. You can't ask those things and think, well, I believe in my heart because the one verse said to be in faith. You're not going to get your prayer answered. Now, that's a silly example, but we can all understand it. When we ask God in prayer, make sure of something. Go to your Bible and make sure God is just dandy with it. This is also why we do need to have good understanding of our God. You ask amiss because that ye may consume it upon your lusts. If you're ever asking God for something just to satisfy, that word lust has to do with our fleshly desires. You can lust for what we may call companionship with kids in the room. You can lust for food. I sent, I'm telling you, chocolate chip cookies do it to me. I'm not saying that to be funny. I honestly recognize I have a problem with that. I, you can lust after money. It's possible. You can lust after a lot of things. The definition of lust is an unhealthy craving or desire. It's not even good for you. And you can't pray for those kind of things just because you want to consume it upon your fleshly, your earthly lust. If you do, then the Bible tells us you don't have a whole lot of ground to stand on to think, well, God will answer this prayer. First John. Go a couple more, few pages past the first Peter, second Peter. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. And verse 14. A very personal verse for me. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. The confidence. I love that word. You can have confidence when you go to talk to God. That's what this verse is talking about. He's, what you're about to hear tells you how you can have confidence. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. I wonder if God really cares to hear this one. No, you can know. And this is how we do it. You can have confidence in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Now, ask according to His will. This is again a prayer verse. We're asking. It's just not using the word prayer. It's using the word ask. And if you ask anything according to God's will, meaning His desire, His healthy desire, what He wills for you, what does this verse promise? We know that we got through, that he hears us. And the next verse says, And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. 
This is why it is extremely important for the Christian believer to know what is the will of God. Very important. You realize there are a lot of people that are sick in their body that maybe want to be prayed for. And yet in their heart and in their mind, they have a stumbling block. They're they're not even sure that God wants to heal them. That it's God's will that he heals his children. And that's a problem. According to this verse, we're supposed to know what he likes, what he wants. I've spent too much time on other things, but what we were going to do, you can go through, I think, the books of Mark and Luke, and there's five or six verses in each of those books that say this. Jesus went into some town, some village area, and they brought out every sick person in the entire town. And that verse says, and Jesus healed them all. It's not a big deal, is it? But then you go and you read another story. And it says the exact same thing. And they brought out those of the sick of the palsy, those that were maimed, deaf, dumb, blind. Comma, he healed them all. The only reason I point that out is you should read those. Seven or eight of them, and after a while it starts to get through at least my thick skull that I think God does enjoy. It is his will to heal. He healed every one of those people. And they brought out the tough ones. Leprosy. People that were missing limbs. The blind eyes being open. He healed them all. And if for no other reason, it's good to read that stuff over and over to get a baseline, a foundation in my heart. God heals. And He heals all the time. It's His will.